1: Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I'm pleased to announce I'm back to doing my podcast again by releasing my live shows I do on the new Locker Room app. So if you have an iPhone or iPad, download Locker Room, follow me at Bball Breakdown, and you can call into the show and discuss anything NBA you like. My show is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time and every Sunday at 9 a.m. Pacific. Hope to see you there. And in the meantime, enjoy the great conversation. Hey sports fans, coach Nick here and welcome to another edition of the locker room show on Wednesdays, every Wednesday at 11am Pacific and Sunday at 9am Pacific. We are here talking NBA and whatever you guys like to talk about. So don't forget, you can always call a request to come in. I bring in everybody at the same time for a fun uh, room stage, whatever you want to call it. So Um, I figured I watched the game last night or a lot of the game last night between the Pelicans and the Blazers and figured we should talk about the ending at the very least, because man, was that a, a choke job, uh, to the 10th degree. Uh, and a lot of head scratching things, uh, the, some usual suspects. So it's no surprise. Uh, I don't think anyone would be surprised to hear that. Uh, when I talk about uh, a guy like Eric Bledsoe, very frustrating as a coach to watch him. Um, and he was definitely a culprit down the stretch, even though, he did make a couple of good plays uh, down the stretch a little bit. It didn't uh, outweigh what he did on the other end. Uh, that was so problematic. And I thought we can kind of go through it because I kind of took some notes for the last three minutes of the game and give you some of my, uh, some of my takes. Uh, don't forget, if you want to come in and j- chop it up with me, I'll uh, just do a request. so I'll bring you in. And we'll bring everybody in together. But, again, thank you all for being here. It's Coach Nick. It's the B-Ball Breakdown Wednesday locker room show. So, yeah. Um, you know, a couple things that I want to talk about for the Bledsoe thing going down the stretch was the things that don't always uh, pop up in the box score or might not be obvious to, to, you know, a fan watching is, like, for instance, with, like, 310 left, Bledsoe drives as the shot clock starts to wind down on the left from the left wing to the basket. And he gets cut off. That's okay. He turns his back to the basket. And now there's about five or four seconds left in the shot clock. And he throws a terrible pass to Zion at his feet. So Zion is left to have to kind of catch the ball, bend over, and then kind of face the basket, whatever. By that time, there's almost no time on the clock. He throws up a a quick, hurried shot, and then misses. It's little things like that. Had he gotten a better pass and he could have attacked on the catch like he's so good at, I think he would have gotten a much better makeable shot, and that changes a lot of things going forward. So then he's guarding Lillard. Um, This is the moment when Lillard does that spin move into a three-point shot. Now, again, we have to give Lillard, Lillard all the credit in the world. I'm going to do a video on him maybe next on how good he is in the clutch because it's uncanny. It's it, At this point, we need to kind of like do an, a, an MRI of his brain. I want to find out what's so different from Lillard than anybody else in the league where he just seems to be able to consistently make uh, pressured plays and, and the highest moments of uh, pressure in the game. It really is amazing how he can do that, and you can almost rely on it. Uh, but you know, when you watch how that play unfolds, you can see that uh, Bledsoe is guarding the ball, guarding Lillard, he looks to his right and he sees where, uh, Stephen Adams is guarding the, uh, the, the pick and roll. He's coming up the hedge high so that if Dam goes to his left, he can pick him up. He can stop a three. Um, and yet Bledsoe runs, runs, uh, up in between the ball screener and, uh, Lillard, like on the high side of him, allowing Lillard to spin back into an open three. He needed to st- stay behind him, knowing where Adams was, and chase him around and then get, recover to get back in front. It was like it's—it it was mind-boggling how wrong that was. And, of course, Lillard's going to hit that shot uh, and cut the lead. Now, however, let's give uh, kudos to, to Bledsoe. The next time down, they run a, pl- uh, a pick-and-roll for um, uh, Ingram. They blast him, which is great. Get out of his hands. They swing it to Bledsoe, and he hits a wide-open three. Great. Now he got that three back. Okay. That's 2.15 left. Uh, they go up by three with that three, uh, I believe, or maybe maybe it's up by four. I'm typing so fast. I'm not even sure. I'm not sure they ever tied it. Um, okay. The next play down, though, when they're up um, with, uh, let's see here. I, I have a, with 140 left. Um, they run a p- pick and roll for, with Bledsoe, and he calls out Mello. He wants Mello to be involved. So whoever Mellow was guarding, he's like, come up here, set me up ball screen. And he goes right into the lane, and Mello is on him on the switch. And Melo just blocks the shot. I mean, the question I have in my mind is how bad do you have to beat as a finisher at the rim to get blocked by 38-year-old Carmelo Anthony, who really is a liability on defense. Let's, let's not mistake that. He He's still helping them on offense, but he's not going to make plays on defense like that. And yet there he was. Um, really, really surprising, scary kind of stuff. So that was a, a problem there because that would have been a nice, a nice little cushion for them. So Melo blocks his shot uh with 110 left um now we go through um Adams um uh, gets hit by Mello and then uh, on a two, long two and then Dame gets an and one on him so again why was Adams in the, in the game okay Stan uh I, I like Adams defense the Mello shot he took uh, that that hit uh, from long two it's a n- tough shot it's a shot you don't mind him taking the Dame one is tough uh, and there was a foul definitely contact uh, but then Zion brings it up, blows right by his man for a two to go up by three with 40 seconds left. And before that, he had posted up and got an easy uh, bucket. They don't go back to him again. Zion hides uh, a little bit later on in those possessions as well, which is a problem on his end. He needs to go get the ball. Um, uh, we did see a good, de- uh, another good defense by Bledsoe uh, on a two-for-one when James tries to hit a three to tie it. Uh, with, you know, 30-some seconds left. So give another credit to Bledsoe there. But then um, really good spacing by the Pelicans uh, when they're inbounding the ball with 14 seconds to go up by, um, let's see here, is it three? It's up by two at that point. And uh, they spaced out two players in the backcourt. So it made it really hard for the um, the Blazers to stay on everybody and then foul quickly. They let seven seconds go off. That was great. And then, of course, Ingram chokes the first free throw, okay, uh, he there's a hitch in his free throw. He's as he's getting the ball to the set point, it kind of goes up and then down for a second. Then goes back up again. It was very strange, very much, a, 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 a prisoner of the moment. I think And the, he let it get to him. The second shot looked a lot better and it barely missed. It was in and out and rolled around and missed. Um, now they were up by three, uh, and they took a foul, but they, uh Dame got separation, Uh Bledsoe easily could have been called for a shooting foul there. There are certain rules when you're to take a three up by three, uh, take a foul up by three, is you don't want the guy necessarily facing the basket with the ball in his hands like that because that's when he's going to quickly shoot the uh, the, uh, the three. Luckily for Bledsoe, uh, Dame, I think, took one extra kind of dribble to his left, and that uh, was enough for the referee to give him a, a shot in the ground. But, man, that was really close. And then, of course, we know what happened with uh, Nikhil uh, walker alexander um uh, you know, took his eye off the ball. Literally, the pass was fine. Threw it to him. It hits him right in the one spot that was going to bounce far away, which is like the inside part of his shoulder. Hits anywhere other part of his body, dies, and he can grab it. But man, uh, the basketball gods were simply not <laughs> not for the Pelicans there. And then, uh, of course, we see Bled, So just foul uh, Dame. Just foul him. It was It was the dumbest thing I could see. Like, you can't guard a guy like that and be on top of him. And like, it wasn't even a Discussion. Uh, you didn't have to look at it twice to figure out if it was a foul. He just hits him on the wrist and, and he gave him the game. Uh, but all the plays he made going down that stretch could like, contribute to this. And so you didn't have to be in a position to be only up by one, uh, you know, with f- four or five seconds left and letting Dame of all people make the play. So uh, very confounding. But uh, as we uh, are going to talk now, I do want to bring on a special guest we have here, Sam Esfendiari who is um, a, a Warriors expert, and I was on his show last Friday discussing what was going on with the Warriors, and I th- asked him to come in and discuss this because I feel like there's some interesting discussions we want to have about uh, how brutal the Warriors fans are uh, with the Warriors. So, Sam, thanks for joining us.
2: You did indeed join us for what I would call the meltdown of all meltdown episodes.
1: <laughs> now, I, I imagine that after the Jazz game, everyone's like, oh, Curry's great. Yeah, Let's keep him. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things going on, but I feel like yeah, that that might have been the apex of uh, just frustrations with the entire Warriors situation. Yeah, uh, but it's it, it's been a it's been a season long thing, as I would assume happens with basically 500 teams, right? It's just kind of a whiplash effect. Every oh, game. that's it,
1: that's exactly what I was going to tell you. It's, it's like, yes, there, there's a reason why they're eighth and then they're 500 is because they're going to have these moments up and down. And, you know, I suppose this is the crucible. We're looking at this is it was within, you know, all those championships and all those finals runs, and that's what they're expecting. But, um, I mean, man, I tweeted out uh, some numbers about what the offense looks like when Steph is on the bench. And I, what I meant to make of that was how indig- you know what it means as far as they don't have any real other playmakers besides him to help create for anybody. So it's really rough on everybody. It's personnel-wise.
2: But yeah, I mean – we have to start with the personnel. Like, you know, you, you can you can resurrect Red Hour back and bring Phil Jackson out of retirement all of a sudden. They're they're not turning this into a title roster. So right. I mean that's that's that that's that's uh number one. I think I think if, if you really want to get at the fan base's uh, ire here, it's probably most comparable to what the Lakers situation let's say 2012, 13 ish uh, where it doesn't, it's just confusing where the Warriors are going. You have your iconic franchise player who's still playing at a incredibly high level. Uh, So they're not in a rebuild, but they don't necessarily have a veteran supporting cast, which is going to contend. And there's just a lot of confusion about what direction they're going. You draft James Wiseman, number two overall and he's gotten worse as the year has gone on is honestly not an inaccurate statement. Um, And, you know, the, the, the fans were obviously hoping he could be that bridge piece to help them get back to contention in a year or two. So some of it's unfamiliarity. The other part of it is they're in this weird holding pattern with clay being out. And it's, it's not a young team like the Pelicans who, you know, we, we know where the Pelicans want to be, but they're going through the young team growing pains. Right. So uh, we don't see a lot of teams stuck in this situation because usually when a title team kind of ends, teams go into a full on rebuild. And that's not what the Warriors are doing right now.
1: For sure. I mean, the Wiseman thing is curious to me. I, I guess it's the, the unfortunate situation of playing alongside Steph and in a town that it's used to winning. Because in my mind, what I've seen from him is a, it's a very nice trajectory of development. Like, he's getting minutes. Um, remind me, what, did he get hurt? What was that stretch where he didn't play for like eight or nine or ten games? He sprained
2: his wrist. Um, right. I can't remember if he was contesting a shot or going up for a dunk. But either way, he landed on his wrist.
1: OK, so, uh, and yeah. so
2: two weeks out and then, you know, he comes back right before the all star break and looked all sorts of out of sorts there. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if you look at the numbers, at least alone, um, they're not they're good. Like, you know, that first game back, it was six for nine, scored 14, right. it was five for eight and seven for 10. So, you know, I'll, I, I guess I, I'm seeing enough evidence to me on the good stuff uh, that it's good enough where I'm like, wow, this is going to be good and more consistent at some point. Um, so is that, I mean, do you, what, what exactly is, is catching your eye so much that makes, is making everyone think that this is not working out for him?
2: Well, one, they started him at the beginning of the year and then they benched him,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, which is, uh, the direct opposite of what happened with LaMelo ball. I really hate comparing him to LaMelo, but it's just, he was the next pick. He looks amazing. That comp, you, you can't. You, you, can, you can't, you can like, pretend that conversation's not going to be there. So, um, on the one hand, you know, you see LaMelo and Charlotte start off the bench and slowly get better to the point where Charlotte really didn't have a choice. Like, they have to start him. On the other hand, the Warriors start Wiseman and bench him. And at this point, he's just running with the second unit. They're not getting him any minutes with Steph Curry or Draymond Green. But they also say his development in – is the most fundamental piece to them, you know, kind of taking a step and getting back into the mix of contenders. Which, you know, it, it's hard to argue that that's not true. They don't have cap space. They're not going to go out and sign Kevin Durant again or anything like that. They kind of need to develop internally. So it's a lot of um, maybe maybe it's irrational, maybe it's unfair to expect him to develop at a faster pace than that. But it's like fans want to see him play with Steph Curry. We're not really seeing that development. Part of his success versus the Utah game, I mean, it was all, they were all running pick and roll through the second unit through him, right? But those are pick and rolls with Nico Mannion and uh, primarily, honestly, the side pick and roll with Jordan Poole in that game. It's It wasn't actions with Steph Curry and Draymond. So there's kind of this if you're not competing this year, but you're not really developing him with the core, what exactly is going uh. on? I don't know if that's fair. Uh, I, I, I suspect Kerr just doesn't want him to have to go against Rudy Gobert, you know, Anthony David, well, Anthony is out, but like Joel Embiid, like all these starting centers while he's so young and still trying to build up his confidence. I imagine that's part of it, but that also leaves out the part where he's not playing with Steph Curry.
1: That, that's all, all good points. And I would imagine that would probably, you know, uh, progress as we go along as well. Um, you know, to seeing more of those things. So that's, that's definitely something interesting, uh, as far as the, the makes, makes sense now more sense to me for with the Wiseman situation. Cause, uh, again, uh, it, I, I, what I'm seeing from him, uh, is just a guy who can run. He's got good hands. He can, uh, he's got good balance and he has some nice finishing moves for a guy who didn't even play in the, in college at all. But I I hear you because you're right. It's this weird situation where you want to think like, okay, they want to compete there. I I wonder if they're surprised a little bit that they were like, you know, 508th. I I wonder if that was a thing when Clay went down, when they figured, okay, we'll get another high draft pick. We will develop in the expectations won't be so high. Um, But maybe that's not even plausible. Whenever you have a guy like Steph Curry on the team, you're always going to be expected to win and win a lot more than you will.
2: Yeah. And I mean, It's a tough spot for a 19-year-old, particularly a 19-year-old who played three college games, and then um, we all know the story. And then you deal with a pandemic. So, I mean, he literally hadn't played competitive action for over a year. It's a tough enough situation for any 19-year-old rookie, but when you throw that on top of it, um, it's worse. It's harder. Mm -hmm. Um, You probably want to also throw in the mix Steve Kerr and the coaching staff as a whole – hasn't really been in a rebuild situation Mm -hmm. Uh, when Steve Kerr took over the team. Now, granted they were, they were a solid playoff team. Obviously he took them to the next level and none of that would have been possible without a lot of the schematic choices he made, but those were all players who are a little older. It's, it's a different thing than this. And then the last point is like, I don't, I don't know that the fan base really knows what development looks like either. Um, You have to go back like a decade to remember you know, Steph was better as a rookie than Wiseman, but they didn't win any games, you know. Right. So part of it's the, the culture shock. of We got Steph Curry back and yeah, he's definitely carrying this team to 500 and that's Herculean. But like he's not a one man, you know, deodorant to turn this back into the 2016
1: Warriors either. Right. And, you know, and so and certainly there's, you know, the there's always the, the, the typical um, uh, criticism about his the rotations. And certainly like Brad Wanamaker was a guy who right from the beginning, I thought was, uh, you know, I, I kind of liked him with the Celtics. And he seems to be one of those guys who he's playing a Brad Stevens system that's working nicely. And he really has just been not good at all and yet had gotten uh, too much run, I, I would argue, I guess that that seems to be one of the big things uh, that at least now is is changing.
2: Yeah, and the Wanamaker thing is funny because I thought that was a good signing as well. Uh, If for no other reason than, like, if you're going to want to find players who can kind of fit into the motion, kind of hybrid motion triangle stuff that Kerr likes to run, like, obviously looking at places like Boston or San Antonio where they traditionally run more, like, team-oriented offenses makes sense for free agent signings, right? And he was really good for Boston off the bench last year, and he's been just – Absolutely, abysmal this year. <laughs> There's yeah. no way around it. I mean, um, through the All Star break, I think he's 35 percent from the field and 21 percent from three. Like that just doesn't cut it. So there, you know he can he can make all the smart decisions and play good defense all he wants, but at a certain point, uh, you have to be able to hit a shot. And um, I, I guess to, to tie to your to your broader point, it's. Um, Actually, I forgot where I was going with it. Why don't, why don't you take this coach next? <laughs> uh, no worries.
1: Um, I mean, I think that the other, the, the, the big thing I made a point of on your show on Friday was that, you know, the, there's a lot of criticism about the front office and about the coaching and um, the, as, if they, as if they could have planned for, you know, Clay Thompson going down a day before the season starts or whatever whenever that was. And, you know, it happened an in a way where. The,
2: an hour before the draft. We all got the uh, notification at 4 p.m. when the draft was starting at 5. So. Okay.
1: <laughs> Uh, right. Which, you know, throws everything into, I mean, it's it, at that point, it's like, what are you going to do? And then uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Like uh, the, there weren't a lot of moves at that point to shore that up all of a sudden once that happened, I think. Right. But at that point, a lot of them had been done.
2: No. And I do think once they, once the clay injury happened, they um they made a conscious decision to maybe pursue a few less vets. Um, I going into the draft um, short of, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the great trade offer popping up out of the blue. I think their plan was to try to bring in players like Marcus all or uh, uh, Nicholas Batum, or like, you know, these kind of older veteran guys um, to help stabilize around the core with Steph and clay. And then also have a couple development projects, maybe in your eighth, eighth through 10th man in the rotation mm-hmm. um, with clay going down. A, no veteran who's in the quote-unquote ring-chasing portion of their career was going to consider going to the Warriors. B, you know, even if you add those guys to a team without Klay Thompson, what are you really doing? You probably went two, three more games. You're still right. not actually doing anything. So they decided to pivot off of, of that to, well, let's let's just try to get as many young upside guys and let's see if a couple of them can stick for us as peeps. Pieces for the following year. So right,
1: and, and so and the point I think I was going to make on that one. Is, and by the way, I'm slurping for gems. So anybody wants to give us gems, you know, I'm I'm so far behind the leaderboard. Whatever this mythical leaderboard I've made up. But you know, if you <laughs> want to throw some gems, make sure you do that. Uh, nonetheless, uh, so here's the point. You give me a gem for uh, the uh, Clay Thompson. I think bumps everybody else into different roles. And so suddenly if you do, thank you Travis, I think if you do that um uh with this team suddenly like I think that Kelly Oubre is the fifth best player on the team is a lot better, right? You get a lot more out of him that way than he is if he's the third best player. Uh you know, and it's, if you have Clay, uh, sorry, yeah, Clay, Steph and Draymond, uh then all of a sudden like Wiseman is probably better. Uh, and then all of a sudden that changes the complexion of the team. And suddenly they're not eighth anymore. They're fifth or they're fourth. And maybe they get hot and then they play, you know, a little bit better. You know, so, but Oubre would have been the guy in my mind who, and in, in Wiggins too, those two guys are just one rung up from where they should be on the hierarchy of this team. And Clay would, you know, would fix that instantly. So um, that said, even in picturing Clay on this team doing what he does and what, what uh, Steph does, I'm curious what you think. Where would I, they be?
2: I mean, we're 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 talking about if he never tore his Achilles, right? We're not talking about next year because next year is a whole different mess. Because I don't even know what you can realistically expect from Clay Thompson off of two, yeah. uh, two terrible injuries. Like he's going to be able to shoot the ball, but you know, 40 minutes a game of guarding the best teams opposing wing are out the window. <laughs> That's true. So, uh, but yeah, okay. So if Clay never tore it, so they're get, they're getting him. You know, uh, 15, 16 months off of an ACL surgery, so pretty much back. Um, I think they would be a, probably around what the Clippers are. They'd be they'd be maybe in that second tier of contender, maybe below the Clippers. I think depending on what they did around the margins, it would have been a determinant. But they would have been one of those teams where you're like, okay, the Lakers and Nets are – clearly better than them and the favorites, but they're within striking distance, particularly if they make a few tweaks on the margins or they get some breaks. Okay. So I, I think that's because, I mean, this is a 500 team without Clay Thompson. At, everything you're saying uh, is correct. Wiggins makes a lot more sense. Uber makes a lot more sense as like third, fourth wheel, third, fourth options, as opposed to asking them to be the second guy to score. Um, also, Clay would have, uh, you know, he would have helped the spacing. The big thing we've uh, – the big thing the clay injury has really exposed is some of the gaps in roster building on this team. I mean, we know they don't have a lot of shooting. They've just gotten away with it because they have the two best shooters. Mm-hmm. But they're not a team that plays four-out four, four out lineups the way other teams in the league do. And you can do that when you have Steph and clay, uh, because they're going to take 25 threes combined – And they're probably going to make 42% of them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just a very good starting point in a league where kind of, I would say, 35 three-pointers is like the minimum you'd need to be taking these days just based off of the way they're officiating and the ways opponents are shooting them, right? Like Utah's up at 45 to 50 a game. And it's it's just hard to compete with that if you can't, like, generate enough threes yourself.
1: And that, that was the dirty little secret about the Warriors the whole time they were winning all those games. They really were not very deep at all shooting wise. They had the top two and then they had, then they added Durant. But after that, you really didn't have a lot of, you know, solid shooting to rely on. Didn't matter because he had those two guys. But, uh, here we are. And, uh, they could, they could really benefit from a lot more, just like, um, just like shooters who are more consistent and and it could play. I mean, the guy who I don't understand doesn't get more run is Mulder because he can really stroke and it. And that is that is a major
2: Kerr, uh that is a Kerr blind spot. I don't want to call it a blind spot, but like every every human has their own personal biases. And one thing we've learned about Steve Kerr is he he really has a hard time playing players who he feels are defensive liabilities even if their offense would help him. He, he would, would rather he would rather go the other direction where he has a wing whose three point shot is, you know, boom or bust and is shooting 30%, but he can count on them defensively instead of someone like Mulder, who is a excellent shooter. He's over 40% on the season. He can, you know, but um, he's six, three, you know, he, he can't really guard that many players I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. So that's kind of a, you know, and, and that's kind of the market the Warriors are going to be in because Guys who can defend and shoot at a high level are just not attainable for um, veteran minimums. I, I don't even yeah. really think they're attainable for like the mid-level exception. Like it's very hard to find high-level shooters who are also really good defenders.
1: Right, and so they're trying to get and like you know Nico Mannion. All of a sudden is at least getting uh, some minutes that uh, the Wanamaker was getting. I, I'm assuming that's pretty much one for one on those on the on the trade-off. Um, I, I like what I see. I mean, you know, everyone wants to tout him as the next uh, Steve Nash, I suppose, uh, right. or in that mold. <laughs> um, obviously, he doesn't shoot at all like that, but I, I, he did hit a couple threes against uh, the Lakers, I believe, as I was watching, uh, or Jazz, one of those games. And it actually looked good. Like, the rhythm looked fine. He looked somewhat confident, like, I'm going to take this, I'm going to shoot it, and then knock it down. Um, I wonder if that's a thing.
2: I don't know. Yeah, his shot's not broken, but this was kind of why he fell in the draft. He just – He, uh, you know, so college basketball, I think he played, what, 25 games? Something like that before the season got shut down last year. Mm -hmm. And um, he just could not hit a shot in conference play. So then he got the stigma of a non-shooter. And I think think he's going to end up being a a competent shooter from that position. Um, But the player I really want to see them play at point guard is Jordan Poole, to be honest. I don't think he's... uh, He's a combo guard. He definitely he can create a shot, and he's looking to create for himself more than for others. So I understand why Kerr doesn't like to play him a point guard because he's just his natural inclination off of a pick and roll is to shoot it, not to you know find the roll man that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, but he's probably their second best shot creator on the team right now, just in terms of his ability to create something off the bounce and generate a high percentage shot, and this is uh, this ties into my overall development point. They took him in the first round the year prior. Obviously, he was the 28th pick, so the expectations are not that of a lottery pick. But he's, you know, he showed in the G League bubble he was the best player there among the Wars. He was significantly better than Nico Mannion in the bubble, and you know he could be someone for them. And it's it's another thing where it's like you know I, Steve Kerr doesn't like the fact that he's a little loose with the ball. And that he's uh, kind of thinking shot versus pass first. And that's where we get to like the rigidness and kind of the Kerr critiques, which are often, you know, I mean, it's fan talk. If, if they lose, he's the worst coach in the world. If they win, he's the best coach in the world. Right. Yeah. But um, th- that's like those are the little things where they're just like, you know, we're we're mired in mediocrity. Why don't you give this a shot? Right.
1: Yeah. And by the way, so this is amazing uh, information, great stuff. And make sure you guys are following Sam uh, on Locker Room and over on, on Twitter as well. But let me – I'll wrap this up with you on this one. Um, what are the odds that Steph is going to have a back injury and then he'll just won't play the rest of the year and they'll get that – they'll try and get a better pick?
2: <laughs> I'm going to go with 20%. I think – I just can't see him and Draymond – being okay with missing the playoffs a second year in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's too much competitive pride there. And I also think you're running the risk of if you're forcing step. He is a free agent the following year. He hasn't signed an extension. Okay. Uh, there's no indication that he's looking to walk, but um, I, I don't know. Like no one thought Russell Westbrook was going to ask out of OKC until it hit a point where it was. You never thought he was going to be Mr. OKC forever. Um, I, I don't know. So – I think you know if he if he if he starts getting banged up, they might be able to convince him of that. But if he's feeling uh if he's feeling okay and they have a shot at the playoffs, I don't think you're going to be able to sell him. Particularly since he missed the entire previous year. If right. he hadn't missed the entire previous year, I would be like eighty percent. Tomorrow we're going to find out that he you know has the flu or something like that. He's not going to yeah. play. Right. Right.
1: So. Right. Great point. Well, Nick in the comments wants to ask: uh, Should the Warriors trade anybody?
2: I mean, isn't that the, isn't that their issue? Who who uh, who wants their players? Uh, they they're, they're kind of uh, they remind me a little bit of the. You remember when the Boston Celtics had all those Nets picks mm-hmm. and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and we're you know we're kind of penciling them in to win like three titles because they just had this amazing situation, you know, mm-hmm. and um, they were never able to make that big trade uh, because everyone was always asking for both Tatum and Brown. And they were rightfully like, we don't want to give you both of them. That's a lot. I feel like the Warriors are now in that same situation where they have three. They really only have three players who, uh, three assets, which have value. One is Steph Curry, who they don't want to trade because he's a franchise. The the second two are James Wiseman and the Wolves pick. The Wolves pick hasn't conveyed yet, but uh, as of right now, 60% chance they end up with the fourth or fifth pick in the draft this year. Uh, that could be a very valuable piece and just in the same way that James Wiseman was. And I think they're running into this situation anytime they want to make a trade, everyone's asking for both Wiseman and the Wolves pick and future picks and just kind of... they're They're really in this situation where I don't know if they're willing to quote-unquote trade all of that for a player. So I think they're kind of... They're, they're a little stuck right now, to be honest.
1: I hear you. I hear you. Which, uh, and also, though, that it, it, it's a deep draft. So it, it might make sense for them to just hold on to everything and then get get a good player, add that to whatever clay will be next year and and give it a run. Uh, I, I just hope that they draft someone who's like six eight, six nine, who can shoot threes. Uh, yeah, that's what they're and missing. And,
2: and, then, and then that's the other part of it. It's like, will that player, James Wiseman, catch up to speed before – you know, Steph Curry starts as inevitable age-based decline, which every player goes through, right? So right. that's kind of where they're in this weird situation where it's like, it's not a bad situation, but it's just atypical.
1: For sure, for sure. Well, Sam, thank you so much for bringing this down for us. I really appreciate it. Uh, well, let's do it again. Absolutely. All right, take care um that was uh uh, sam and you definitely make sure to follow him he's got a lot of great stuff there on the warriors and they they host a locker room show that's really really out there guys are holding on their phones really tightly in in those rooms uh but, but let's talk a little bit about um first of all happy st patrick's day to all my irish brethren out there um my name kind of runs the gamut between Greek and Irish and anything else. Uh, so I need, need, though I'm not either any of those, but I will still want to wish a, a happy uh, St. Patrick's Day. And maybe next year we'll have one where you can go out and celebrate uh, with a lot of people in one place. Um, let's see here. Anything in the in the uh, comments? I know we wanted to get back to the Pelicans a little bit because who was asking about it? Um, Jimmy was asking about it. Um, and so was Jafar. Uh, we'll let's see. Jimmy had a question, maybe. No. Who had a question? Jafar did. Uh, so throw it out there. If you want to hop in the stage and chop it up to me, uh, yeah, here we go directly. Uh, I bring in everybody all at once so we can have a fun time together in a party. But, Jafar, what's up, my man? Yo, Coach Nick, man. Um, huge fan, by the way. Been
3: watching a video since I was a kid. And wow, so, just really crazy to just be talking to you and uh so my question regarding the the Pelicans is I was listening to a podcast and they were saying that the possibly like one of the guys who's was talking about Brandon Ingram and Zion might not be like working the best together although they are scoring defensively they're both kind of okay. And mm-hmm. so you no, know, when they were going in about that, what's your idea of how they should structure this team going into the off season?
1: Uh they need to um get rid of Bledsoe yesterday. And I think that will <laughs> That probably alleviates a lot of things, but man, it's like, I, I don't know if you heard the beginning of the show where I just basically ripped him apart for the last three minutes because how yeah. he played the coach's
3: nightmare. <laughs> yes.
1: And that's even with him hitting a key three and he actually played defense well on one of those possessions, but then mm-hmm. everything else just falls apart. So, Believe it or not, the way they're playing him ends up just being, you know, such a weight where I feel like without him and something a little bit more confident, uh, then the Ingram and the Zion stuff works out that's so much better. Uh, and even like a guy like Steven Adams, is, it could be better uh, as well. So I'm, I'm just frustrated that they they picked him up. And they thought that was going to be a good idea for them. I could have told them that before. But um, listen, Ingram is great. He really has been developing nicely. He's a nice yeah. complimentary player to a guy like Zion. Uh, and they're just in this weird mode where they're still figuring things out Lonzo is looking a lot better to me now Uh, Mm -hmm. I've always been high on him as it is so they're on their way, but they—they they just there is some serious roster overhaul. They still need to deal with. I mean, Redick is going to go away. Um, I like Hart. I've always liked Hart, but again, I don't know if he's a 28 minute per game player. He probably is a little bit less than that as a mm-hmm. uh, the second guard off the bench. So they, there's a lot of room uh, to to improve here. If you look at the roster, you realize why it's not quite you know ready to be uh, you know a winning team in the West
3: yeah I agree I think that when looking at the Pelicans roster is that if they were to keep the core of Zion, Steven Adams, Brandon Ingram and I think Lonzo because Lonzo I think uh, deserves a lot of credit because he's one of the few guys that can actually play pretty well on both sides of the ball and he doesn't need the basketball in terms of like he, want, he needs to score because he loves to feed those guys I think the biggest problem though is that they have so much youth on that team with Alexander Walker, Jackson Hayes that there's no proven veteran talent really um, that they need you know because like uh, for me I'm a Chicago Bulls fan and the biggest problem with the that they didn't have culture, and then the veteran talent wasn't there. But then when they got Otto Porter and then they got Thaddeus Young, there was a shift also. So I think that's the biggest problem for me that I also see on the the Pelicans. Uh,
1: I agree. Now the other thing I was really frustrating was maybe two weeks ago I was looking at some advanced numbers for the Pelicans, mm-hmm. and it, it just just from a conceptual standpoint, uh, the idea of having a team with Lonzo Ball and uh, Zion Williamson, you would think that with those two guys as your main guys, you'd want a really high pace. Yeah. And yet, a a while ago, they were, like, in the 20s in pace. Now, when you look at, like, overall for the season, and, and, you know, c will make it, like, slow, but uh, now overall they're 18th, so they moved up. And if you look at the last 10 games, and by the way, Stan might be listening. I don't know because, you know, Stan and I, we go way back. Uh, Now they're 11th in the last, like, 10 games. So there is something happening here where they've increased the pace – and, you know, they're only four and six in those last uh, ten games. But that, to me, just conceptually makes a lot more sense. So they need to get Lonzo uh, in open court with that ball, throwing those beautiful dimes that he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, wish,
0: I wish the Pelicans could be bad enough to get Evan Mobley because as a center, you could hopefully ship Stephen Adams out of there. But as a center, Evan Mobley is also the perfect person to play next to zion because he's athletic enough he can switch he can guard just about anybody he's a great pain protector um so he just makes a ton of sense there man he makes so much sense but i don't know if they could be bad enough to get
4: him um yeah. but he makes a ton james Wiseman also makes total sense on the
1: pelicans what do you <laughs> oh, oh <boy. laughs> you know he sucks though, okay man. david robinson makes a lot of sense in the pelicans i mean i don't know <laughs> how we're gonna get him <laughs> over there um uh, yeah, I mean, I hear you. I mean, listen, I, I wonder if we, if we if we've seen the best of Adams and that's going to be it. He's just sort of uh, you know too not not mobile enough. Uh, even though I, I like, there are moments when I really like how he fits in with this team. But uh, yeah, sure, certainly a younger, much more mobile person. Which, by the way, they have in Jackson Hayes. Now he's the guy who I've been hoping for and liked out of college to slowly develop, and he's getting some minutes. So he's he's kind of getting his feet wet a little bit more um at 20 but he's not the guy who's going to be ready to lead a team that's fourth in the conference in the west wow jackson hayes quieted everybody who knew (laughs) <laughs>
3: no, uh, for me, I really like Jacksons. I think just the biggest thing uh, that you were saying, and um, is that they just need that veteran presence, you know, that to, to be able to like strong arm that locker room in a good way. Because youth is a good thing, but when you don't have that veteran presence of guys who have been in those positions, because they've been losing a lot of leads, and then um, when you have those guys that have been there that are able to coach up um, you know, these uh these young fellas, I think it'll be great. Actually, uh, the reason I kind of paused is because uh, and a trade just happened. Uh, Trevor Reese is getting sent to the Heat for Myers Leonard right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they were going to get rid of Myers Leonard, uh, you know, yeah. for o- obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a lesson to be learned by the way, uh, not to, <laughs> not to use language like that when you're playing uh, ever. But, um, by the way, i me just throw this out there. Um, it, it was interesting to see how that became a racist argument against Myers Leonard, um, when he didn't use a, a racist word, he used an antisemitic word. And I found that interesting. Now, I suppose, let me throw this out there, I suppose the reason why is because he wasn't kneeling Earlier on, uh, during the national anthem with the rest of his mm-hmm. teammates. Is that what's going on there, guys? Uh, my brother, um, he actually, he he was
3: actually, um, telling me cause, uh, he was, he was, he just was on right now. Uh, he was Hassan. He just kind of, I think, left for a second, but he actually said that when it came out that one reason maybe a lot of things are going towards him is because he wasn't kneeling. Cause I think his brother is a Marine. And so that kind of added on to the anti-Semitic words that he was actually saying. So when you pile those two on, it was just two negatives. And, um, I think it just made it completely worse for him.
1: Yeah, uh, that that makes sense to me, I suppose. And, you know, I, I would imagine he's probably a nice guy. But then again, if you're so casually using those kind of words, clearly there's something off. Uh, and uh, it wasn't just like a, uh, a, a, you know, you didn't know what it meant or anything like that. So that was troubling. So, yeah, so that was a trade. Yeah, you know, Ariza, you know, for Myers Leonard is one of those things. Like, get Myers Leonard out of here. Who can take him off our hands, please? Mm-hmm. I, I, is he a free agent, I think, after this year? Um, I believe I he is, think. yes. There's yeah. no way anyone resigns him. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's that's uh, that's going to be his burden, and maybe what we do, it'll be as we do in America, is he has to go through purgatory, and then gets a shot again, you know, in, in the next year, we'll see. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's it's rough. I I, I don't want to be sympathetic necessarily to him, but um, but you know, people make mistakes, so we'll see what happens to him.
4: Coach, can I ask you a question?
1: Yes. This is
4: not all about tomorrow's line. It's just about oh, to please, play.
1: please, let's change the subject.
4: <laughs> do you think the Warrior
1: system is outdated? Oh, my goodness gracious. So now, so the the, the, the triangle gets outdated, and then Kerr comes in with like triangle concepts. Now that's outdated. No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, when I watch what they do, I, I see so much of what everyone's running, honestly. The one thing that's kind of unique to them, maybe, is the low post splits that they like to run when they throw the ball into the low post, and the then you see Curry. Action. Curry and Clay, like usually, you know, they'll split the, you know, at the three point line, you know. But that's good stuff, uh, you know. When you have shooters that can do that, now it doesn't make a lot of sense to run that with, you know, uh, you know, Ubre and you know, uh, Toscano Anderson, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but you know, so so I don't think so. I mean, listen, what what the concepts they run, I like motion, movement, organic. Uh, you know, make it, make yourself hard to guard. Uh, I think it looks better when you have, you know, more than one playmaker on the floor and they simply don't really have that.
0: Yeah. I was going to say that. I think it looks bad because you have dudes who aren't even smart enough and shouldn't be in the NBA trying to run what Kurt does.
1: Well, who who shouldn't be in the NBA? Uh, Let's not go crazy here, but who do you think? I mean, like they have dudes who are playing tons of minutes who
0: probably should not be playing tons of minutes. Like, I think it's more of that, like they don't have the IQ skill set to actually be involved in a offense.
2: Like who?
1: Way Smiley more Beach. big and low, and you Smiley, stand in the corner. Nico
0: Mannion, Jordan Poole. Nah, Jordan um, Poole bucket, bro.
2: Well, yeah, he's
0: but he's still very young hole. and not,
4: and he's. He's still uh, once again. It's not play. they shouldn't Utah? be in the NBA. They're just not. They're not NBA ready yet. That's the key. Point. I mean, like they should not be playing the minutes they're playing. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, Jordan Poole in Utah was like prime Jordan. Damn near. You know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, it's it's frustrating because when you have uh, Steph Curry out there, there's an expectation and there's a level of play that kind of happens just by him being out there. But you're right, like Jordan Poole isn't quite ready, but he'll have a highlighter, too. they you You're like, whoa, there's something here. Um, you know, they they the uh, same with like Mannion isn't really ready, uh, and they're kind of throwing him out there. Uh, the the thing was probably surprising that it was it was such a bust to me watching him, even when if he did okay, it was ugly. Uh, Kent Bazemore is a guy that drives me absolutely insane, it, probably as much as as um. Drew Bledsoe, i uh, not Drew Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe. Who is Drew Bledsoe? Is he a oh football my player? Gosh. I see
3: that I'm this. Drew Bledsoe is a football. Drew, player. Uh, Drew Bledsoe is a he was a former quarterback. Yes, I don't himself. even. That's how the that's Patriots. how little
1: I watch the NFL now. But I Eric that was Bledsoe a from the playoffs <laughs> in
3: 2018.
1: Oh right. Well, Eric, are we talking about Drew Bledsoe or Eric Bledsoe? Um,
0: no, I like. Um, Heros, you're called Eric Bledsoe, Drew Bustle, Oh yeah,
1: that's right, Bustle. exactly. All right, that that was hilarious. By the way, I, I love that. I love those things. But so so Bledsoe is so frustrating to watch. I went through it already and explained why he contributed to that loss last night, even though he wasn't the guy dropping the ball out of bounds like Alexander did. But uh, but but Ken Baysmore is easily the guy right there with him who makes the his decision making is so outrageous. He makes the the craziest plays that are bad plays that you wouldn't imagine. And, and then he'll sprinkle in a nice made three or a drive or whatever. But he's a guy that needs to – he's playing 16 and a half minutes a game. He really shouldn't be playing any at all. Like I think that would actually help them just by its subtraction. Damn. It's pretty hard. I mean, when the Warriors were
4: at their peak, it was a lot of very, very high IQ guys. Like Iguodala is a high IQ guy. Draymond's a mm-hmm. high IQ guy. Bogut's a high IQ Clay. guy. KD, Clay, Then all these uh, – Sean exactly. Livingston. Livingston, yes. Sean, Yeah all these high IQ guys, and now they're trying to run that same system with Kelly Oubre and Kep yeah. Like These guys are not the brightest of players, no offense to them. I hear you. And listen,
1: I love Kelly Oubre. I love the energy and what he does on defense. But you're right. I can't deny that he doesn't. he doesn't – he's not like a – he doesn't understand the flow of the game very well, right? He doesn't read uh, and react as well as others. It's just a thing where I wonder if you could teach that. I wonder if that can come, uh, he can get better at that. I would like to believe he could get better at that. And especially if a guy like Clay was in the lineup alongside him, then, then he would, you know, there'd be a little bit less pressure on him and he could kind of, you know, get adjusted that way. But, but there probably will always be a ceiling no matter, even though Kelly Ray is long and, you know, there is a world where he could shoot competently, like 32, like 37 percent from three and be, a, you know, a three and D guy. Very valuable. Uh, and he might still be very valuable. Somebody might end up signing him, you know, for 15, 20 going into next year.
4: And then, Coach, let me ask you this. Is Draymond being a non threat offensively going to be a problem come playoff time this year? And when the club yeah. comes
1: I mean, we're going to see what happened uh, the last time where they're going to you know, really sag off of him. And what's he shooting from three this year? Um, 25%, which might even be kind of good for him. Um, He's going to have to. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, how do they mitigate that? They like a lot more handoffs and they'll have him set screens low. Yeah, though.
4: it's. Do what Curtis does. Make him a screener. Make no shoe screeners.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's if that center's sagging all the way near the paint, it's it's Draymond running a DHL with Steph or whoever that yeah. is. Wait, Nate, that's that the question? basically but not.
1: Um, yeah, it's not ideal. And not ideal, but like you can point. make it work, but man, it'd be nice if he could be a little bit more competent from the outside. I'm not even sure Grandma's that great at finishing at the rim either, honestly, right? He's shooting below 40%. He's not. So, so it's an interesting thing that where if he's not doing the short rolls and getting dimes that way, then he it is it's a it's a challenge for them to to make him worth worth it. But then again, he is so good defensively that it's like, you know, it, it, he balances it out and then some.
5: But it's interesting with him because I know he's never been a great shooter at all. But in 2016, I remember he was somewhat respectable. Like, I like think yeah, Game 7, was he, game really? seven he, he was, was almost 40% from the
0: 39. regular season in 2016. I
1: don't remember this. Uh, 15, 16, 38.8% from three uh, on three attempts. Yeah. yeah. Game 7. Yeah. So on on like good 30? attempts, yeah. too. Wow. What, five attempts.
5: Like, I remember in game seven, he was mm-hmm. awesome. Like, he was hitting, like, I think four Six or five. Six of three. So...
1: I wonder what well, happened. like, is it confidence? Well, or- I'll tell you this. From uh, having watched him so long, the key for me, and when he has gone on those runs and he shot well, is when he doesn't bend his knees so much. He bends so low, it throws off the rhythm and the calibration of the, of the strength of the shot uh, so much. It's like a multi-segmented shot that way. And when he's been better at three, it's when the knee bend is a lot less, and then suddenly the rhythm of the shot when the arms are coming up into the to the set point and out is better timed, if that makes sense, if you can picture that the whole backpack thing they talk okay. about right it's like when he doesn't yeah. wear the backpack that that's it and it, it would be such a simple um adjustment from what i've heard about him and training and his mindset I don't know how easy it is to tell him those kind of things and to have him adjust, whether it's him just being hard headed And he's like, no, I'm just going to shoot more shots this way. I'm going to figure it out uh, or what. But it sounds to me that like to to try and get Draymond to see what works better mechanically is very difficult because he simply doesn't want to change it. It's sad in a way because I think it'd be a really simple fix for what he does.
5: Can I piggyback? uh, Because I know you did a video a few weeks uh, ago. a while ago about Giannis's, uh shooting mm-hmm. evolution. Do you think it's because he's gotten like – because when he first came in the NBA, he was really uh, – he was a lot thinner, I think a couple inches shorter, and now he's like steroided up. <laughs> Do you think that's why he- – um- do you think that's why he changed So it the, the,
1: there are certain guys you see that their builds, like Blake Griffin, who are so large in the shoulder area that it makes sense to me that it would be harder for him to be a good shooter because the flexibility and the movement is not as easy there. And, and as a result, as we train players now, we, we do not want to see them get so huge like the Dwight Howard, you know, skip leg day and just have these huge torsos. Um, <laughs> so there, there probably is a little bit of a component of that, but I've seen enough guys – you know, and, and by the way, I don't know if his shoulders have gotten to that size uh, that it would be prohibitive that way, like like Blake Griffin, for instance. So, I I, I want to say it's more um, that somebody got in there and was because remember in the video I showed, he had a beautiful shot, a really nice. Really yeah. nice rhythm and the, the elbow, everything was aligned nicely. Um, and from what I've seen as far as the mechanics have moved and the ball has gotten farther off from his body and then the elbows are flaring out a lot and he doesn't have a nice alignment. I, I don't know. I think that that's, that's somebody trying to like tweak and adjust and, and, and think that they're doing a, a service to him. And uh, and, he, and he's, a, he's a pleaser. He's a really hard worker. He wants to do whatever the coach is telling him to do. And I, I, to me, I feel like it's more than half uh, of that. And then a little bit of, uh, of, okay, he's gotten a lot bigger and he grew a little bit. And that, like, his body didn't quite adjust to to the extra, you know, bulk he has now. But I honestly feel like it's it, it's less of that and more of uh, somebody trying to, to change the way his mechanics were and, and completely effed it up. Uh-huh. Yeah, speaking
0: of jumping, what happened to Jimmy Butler's jump shot? like his three
1: ball. He was like average, now he's like Um my, nah, my you know, I haven't ever done a really deep dive, but he shoots the ball uh, at the set point above his head, I believe, a uh, traditional like right? Uh like Kobe and those guys. I think I got to look. And so my take on it generally for those guys who are like the two motion shots when the ball gets a set over their head, it's really hard to be consistent. So if he had moments where he was he was, you know, average, then that you know and then not, that makes sense to me, but I don't remember him ever being I'm looking at it right now. Let's see, across the board, three-point percentages. He was
0: average at best. He was you average. know,
1: but by the way, average really should be like 37. And he's only had like really one year at 37, maybe less. But you're right, it's really low now. But he's not even taking that many right now. Uh, he's only taking less than two a game. And last year at, you know, two. So, yeah, I think it's – I think it's, I think it's uh, he likes to hang in the air a little bit on his jumpers too, which makes it good for him on the in the mid-range. Uh, but that's really, really difficult to become, um, you know, consistent that way uh, when you shoot that way from 25 feet. Yeah. Uh,
3: coach, if I can uh, ask a question going back to the Bucks, um, like wh- I was watching the video, just, uh, the first few minutes of it before the podcast about where you were talking about the Bucks, how they're, they're like, what was going on with them before, over the last few years and where they are today. So I know um, in the beginning of the video you elaborated on how their three point defense is just atrocious compared to how inside of like uh, their defense are one of the top 10 teams in the league. Do you think at this point the way they've just been trending kind of down and the fact that Budenholzer doesn't make a lot of offensive changes, specifically in the postseason, that his job might be at stake in the next oh, season? Oh, absolutely.
1: I think he's definitely in the hot seat right now. Um, And, and it's like the, if they don't get to – geez. If they don't make it to the conference finals this year – I, I don't know if he makes it. I don't think. I know. I, I he might not. I, you know. I, I bet you it's fifty-fifty at best. Now, mm. by the way, speaking of which, uh, do you all notice that there's an opening in the college ranks that just opened up uh, of a of a coaching job? Anyone, any happen to notice that recently? No, Indiana. Indiana. Oh yeah, and uh, you might you might end up seeing someone like a Brad Stevens leaving to Indiana before they get him out of there. Um, so keep your eye on that one. I don't know. I don't think interesting. Be, right? uh, I haven't heard. I don't think
0: Brad Stevens is leaving for college, man.
1: Uh, I'm interested in Jawan. Well, here's the problem. If the Celtics don't make it beyond whatever, um, then, mm-hmm. then he might not make it anyway uh, in, in Boston. And so that's, But the, the only question is the timing. Obviously, Indiana is going to want to fill that position sooner than later. Um, but if it does go a bit longer than a traditional length, then be, be prepared to expect that Stevens will be announced once the season, the Celtics season is over, uh, mm-hmm. that he will become the Indiana coach because um, that is an interesting thing. I don't know if Stevens could pass that up, honestly.
3: I, that's a great point because I think, isn't it, University of Butler, when he was coaching there, is in Indiana, correct? Yeah, and, he's uh, an Indiana guy. He's he's Indiana born and raised. He's yeah. From so Indiana. when you look at that, and also the fact that um, because my brother he's a huge Nets fan. When you look at the giant haul that they had, they got from Brooklyn, and all the guys that they've been able to cash in and get like a Tatum, you know Jalen Brown. I mean they they haven't done anything. You know, like let's just keep it real. And they've been underwhelming over the last few years. Um, with the amount of guys that they've had. I don't. I for me, I think that not only would he be on the hot seat, but also I think Danny Ainge at a specific point because they've never gotten better and they have these stars, but they don't have any depth yeah. at all. Yeah,
1: the whole thing's on the table for sure. And by the way, I love Brad Stevens; he's a great coach. But yeah. at some point, yeah. you gotta, you know, actually come through. Now he's made it to the conference finals once, I believe. He's once did last he did it against years. Cleveland, oh. and they got swept. Maybe is what I remember, But and that wasn't even like the a, he's made three. He made three.
0: Out of the last four years. Oh my yeah, God! Oh, he made the the one year with
3: uh, yeah Isaiah Thomas when he messed up his hip. That okay, right. Two years. Yeah, they've
0: made it. A so ton they've done of it. Times. They just keep losing to,
3: they just keep losing to LeBron. Like, I don't,
0: I yeah, mean,
1: okay. So this uh, is his chance. But then again, what happens now is that they're gonna lose to KD and and Kyrie and those guys. So, uh, at some point though, I I guess my my bar had been okay, uh, not the conference finals as much as the finals. Like at some point you got to at least make the finals. And uh, and they haven't been able to do that, you know, or get get that close at all. So that's the thing. Uh, at some point, it's going to catch up to him uh, if he can't break through. Doesn't necessarily mean he's not a good coach. He's a really good coach. I pattern a lot of the way I behave yeah. on the sideline off of him, versus like Juwan Howard, by the way. Which I did you all see the Juwan, Juwan Howard craziness, stupid stupidity? No. Uh, Ju- what do you Juwan mean? Howard was no? arguing uh, at the end of the game uh, against. Uh, Str- Oh, the Rutgers game. Uh, was it, was it, I don't know. If it was Rutgers? Whatever it was, and he's, he's arguing with the refs. But the, the opposing coach, I guess, thought he was arguing with him, so he yelled at him. And then, like, he had to be held back by multiple players from like going at the other coach. It was it was just dumb <laughs> on every respect. Um, the other coach was really stupid too because he started throwing up his arms and screaming and yelling. I mean, it's just dumb. And, you know, it doesn't happen when you have a guy like Brad Stevens and the way he handles himself on the sideline. And I will say I come from Chicago – and Juwan Howard wanted to like chalk it up to being a Chicago guy, which is why he did that, which is a, a little bit of a, you know, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know why that has to be a Chicago thing uh, that allows him to lunge at, a, at another coach. Uh, not a huge deal either way, but just it caught my eye. I was like, this is just, it's just dumb. It's just fake toxic masculinity of, you know, whatever in the moment. Uh, and it, when you don't have control, then that's, that affects your coaching as well. Uh, you know, which, by the way, looked a little bit what happened with Sam Van Gundy, and that's one of his uh, – one of his criticisms has been that he kind of doesn't always have the most calm demeanor on the on the sideline, and it kind of permeates pr- into the players. Uh, and we did see that a little bit uh, at, the, at, the, at the last possession when they were preparing to play defense against uh, uh, Damian Lillard, who ended up getting fouled and win the game. He was, like, kind of up and yelling and looked really angry. It was weird because at that moment they were up by one. There was not a lot of time left. Just play some defense. This is it. You know, we got it. But instead, it, yeah. Do you
5: think that?
3: Oh, I'm sorry.
1: No, no, go, go ahead. I'm coach? done.
5: I was saying, do you think that, because I think he had like 38 or 40 going into the fourth. Do you think that they should have just started, like I know the Lakers love to trap him. Do you think they should have done more of that instead of with Steven Adams, but maybe like force someone else to beat you.
1: Yes, you have to get it, it out of his that. hands. And like, you absolutely have to get it out of his hands. Um, and you know what? They, I mean, Melo hit that one shot on the iso, uh, but that was, that was the kind of shot you're like, fine, please take that every time uh, with your foot in the three-point line. So, uh, yeah, you know what? I need to go back and look at that again uh, in that context If like, wait, did they have opportunities to double him more and get it out of his hands? Uh, I feel like they did do it a little bit, but, um, yes, you can't let him score 10 points in – I think he scored 10 points in three minutes, something like that. Yeah, they they struggled the last yeah. two minutes. Steven
4: Adams might be the worst, worst pick and roll defender in the league. I
1: hate to yeah, – uh, maybe. I no mean, Adams, he's, like I don't know. Him. Maybe. I, I, we could find worse, but I hear you. And he didn't look great last night. Yeah. Uh, But then again, if Nikhil Alexander-Walker – just catches the freaking ball <laughs> then we're not having this conversation at all Ballsy you know what i mean game. or brandon that's or if true. brandon
5: ingram
0: hits yeah two or one players. of
1: them even right or whatever it is yeah wait
0: Coach, yeah. Nick, why was uh Nikhil in the game yeah
1: i don't know that's a good great another great question um who was <laughs> okay. in the game at that point do we know what that lineup was wait i think do i have him it was Bletzo, 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 on.
5: walker and i think stephen adams and I think uh, – I'm missing someone. It Sorry. was uh, Mikel, Zion, Lonzo, Ingram,
3: and um, – and now you just
1: said uh, I forgot So didn't... who else would have been in at that point? Um, who do you even want to shoot those free throws once you get uh, the foul? Ingram. I'd rather
3: have Josh Harden. Well, Ingram just Josh
1: missed two yeah, of Yeah, and by the way, that's your answer. It's Josh Hart absolutely should have been in besides uh, – over Alexander, without question. That's a, that's a mistake. Yeah, I don't – I'm that a big Josh Hart crazy. guy. I think he's a good yeah. player. And it's he's...
0: like what the Nuggets did in the playoffs with – um, uh, I haven't Have people given up on Josh Hart yet? You haven't what?
1: Akil, what would you say? Given up on Josh Hart. Have
0: people oh, yeah. given up on Josh Hart
4: yet? No. Uh, I mean I – mean, no. just doing his role. Like... Josh Hart and Josh Okoge are built from this exact same clock. Okay.
1: Uh, just a yeah. Josh Hart can shoot, though. Can he? Uh, a little bit. A little uh, bit, but he's certainly not going to drop the ball out of bounds on a play, uh, on an out of bounds play. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was weird. I, I would like to kind of go through that and figure out if we can see any evidence, like, you know, on the sidelines, why he would have put uh, Alexander Walker in there. If anything, maybe he's like, well, I'll get him some, you know, some good valuable minutes and experience. What drops could go wrong? <laughs> you know, and you see Stan laugh, right? Or he smiled after he drops the ball out of bounds, like, like you know, it, it probably even then he knew we're gonna lose this game. Now it's like you know, what, what else can you do? <laughs> Miss the free throws, drop a ball out of bounds, and again, like I said, if it hits him anywhere in the body besides that bony part of like his shoulder, then it doesn't go flying like it did, you know. And uh, and then he can catch the ball, or it'll drop at his feet, and he'll get it. Uh, crazy stuff, crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, young teams don't know how to win games. Or close I think
5: games. they've, I think they've blown. 10 games, I think, where they're leading by double digits. Do you think that um, the management will be patient with Stan Van Gundy, or that could maybe play into him getting
1: access to the I, I can't see in any, uh, you know, unless the players had a mutiny, uh, they're not going to get rid of him after one year, I don't think. Um, but okay. you're right. I mean, listen, they, not only that, but like in this game, it was a 16 0 run. They were blowing them out in the fourth quarter in the last, like with five minutes to go, whatever that was. So that was, yeah. that's bad. And you're right. It, it's, you know, A young team, all this, this, yada, yada, the coaching is supposed to help that, right? He's supposed to be there to support that and and help them get through those moments and then also to show uh, improvement across the season on those things. And if that doesn't happen, um, it's going to be bad, but I can't see any, you know, I can't see them getting, you know, firing in the offseason. But again, unless Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson said, this guy's got to go, but I, you know, I doubt that's going to happen, but that would probably be the only way I could imagine uh, they, they change coach. Do you think Lonzo's part of that core with Zion? And I Peter? hope so. Very good defender. Uh, if he had the ball in his hand more, he'd be a little bit more like his brother, like what we're seeing now. He's shooting a lot better Dude, from the sh- outside now. So I, I would love to keep Lonzo with there for sure. It's a good core, Ingrams, Williamson, Lonzo, also primarily because they complement each other pretty well, I think. That's a nice complementary core versus other times they'd shove together three guys, it doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, I would like to see Lonzo continue playing.
4: I yeah, just I think, think the main uh, difference between Lonzo and his brother is the handle because Lamelo has like a legit handle, and he has elite burst. I I, I just think that's the main difference yeah. between the two. And Lamelo has like a tr- a jumper he trusts and does- doesn't have to rework. right. Well, though Lonzo was there, yeah, Lonzo was there. Yeah,
3: because oh, yeah he did he has those opportunities like, bro, on the Lakers though. He's like driving
4: yeah. though. Like one free, free yes. throw game is Lonzo is scared to finish.
3: No, I don't think he's scared to finish. He just doesn't get the opportunity. When you look at LaMelo, they're not playing for anything. Let's just keep it real. They're just playing to just do whatever they can't see what they're they the can playoffs. get for these guys. The no, pl- yeah. no, but I'm saying don't, like... do like, like, the hornets.
0: I might, the like, push, push hey, team to on, Hornets, games.
3: The Hornets are not gonna push nobody to six, seven games. What they have no I mean, they have a great sexy starting lineup. They have Rozier. they have Devontae they have Graham the and Lamelo. But, I mean Lamelo well man, you know that boy Lamelo, man. No, Lamelo's nice, but I mean he's not going they're not gonna beat Indiana if they were to go against them, in my opinion, at least. Indiana? I mean I could be wrong. Ooh, they're not gonna they're not gonna Indiana's beat you know, Brooklyn.
4: Matchup, they're not gonna be Indiana's able to. Indiana's kind of in a fraud Sixers. team, I ain't gonna lie to you. They're kind of frauds. Indiana's a bad matchup for Charlotte because they have to put what, Cody Zeller on some bonus. Bismack but game. don't forget
1: Indiana just got back uh Levert and they're gonna get back um yeah. what's his face? Um who's the other scorer? Um uh, Warren. Warren and DJ, yeah DJ and one. so they're they, I mean they're not even in the playoffs for today, but I, I would imagine they would be. But yeah. I you know Char-
0: that for a could while.
1: Charlotte beat the Heat like yeah in the first to do that? No. No, nah, so. not the Heat. I don't I think, think so. so. I, I don't think me,
3: I think the biggest thing is that they don't have that that postseason like yeah. you know, experience with this core group of guys, and I think that's the biggest thing is that because in the regular season it looks great, but when you get to the postseason, it gets a team like Miami last year, even though they got some young dudes, they went to the finals and have that experience. You look at Indiana, for example, they might not be the best offensive team, but they are getting Levert back, but they have that experience of being in the playoffs. I think
1: that's going to show. Uh, yeah, they've
0: been they got swept the, like the past two
1: playoffs. I, I, I th- that seems all reasonable. I would love to have this other mo- notion that Lamelo just detonates and independent of like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to be intimidated or like, you know, I'm a rookie. What does that doesn't mean anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be really awesome if that happened. But yes, it's definitely a reasonable take to say that they, without a lot of, um, you know, playoff experience, they're not going to do as well. But, you know, this is a weird time. We'll have to find out if they're going to get uh, audience, uh, fans back in the stands for the playoffs. There's no question in my mind that there is an effect. We've now, I think, seen it. Uh, and, in fact, I have to look more recently because now there's been a, a, trip, a trickle of fans back in. I kind of want to see if the three-point percentages are going to go down um, because of that. Uh, it, 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 I think that the, one of the reasons why they were so through the roof the first several months of the season was because no fans, no pressure. It was like summer league games for them. And when you get stands, uh, fans yelling you know, you know in, in making the difference in the, you know, in the air, um, players are affected by that, believe it or not, even at the, at the NBA level. Well, listen, guys, my hour is up. Great show. Awesome stuff. And you know what? I love the show so much and definitely want to post it as a pod. So I'm going to, uh, to end it here because otherwise you might take it for another 12 hours, which is what happened the last time I, I transferred hosts. That, 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 uh, that room never ended. Uh, but awesome stuff Thank you guys all for being here Really, really great stuff I hope everyone got enough gems For a lot of great uh, points you guys made uh, If you missed it or missed part of this You can always find uh, most of my uh, shows here On my podcast later on But uh, for those of you in the, in the stage Join me as I do my sign-off When I say don't forget sports fans The P-Ball Breakdown We're not channel We're a conversation You in? Are you in, guys? I'm in Always Definitely